about to listen to the profound word of God, ministered by Ty Adeshuba, pastor of Worship Tabernacle Church. Without a doubt, this will be a life-transforming experience as you acquaint yourself with the word of God and develop a rich and rewarding relationship with Him. This message will certainly shape your life, fulfill your dreams, and guarantee your success. Can I welcome you to Worship Tabernacle? I believe that this evening your life will be shaped, your dreams will be fulfilled, and success will be guaranteed. If you believe that, shout Amen. Amen. Alright, we're ready for our Bible study uh, this evening. I am still going to continue briefly, just I want to have a chat with us tonight. I'm going to continue briefly with our message, which we started on Sunday, but on Wednesdays I just go a bit deeper, and I just take a detour a bit. Uh, uh, so tonight, uh, I, I will be speaking uh, on what I say, uh, lay aside the weight of self-pity. Laying aside the weight of self-pity is really important. It's not a psychological uh, message. It is a spiritual prophetic word. Let's go to someone in the Bible who had had confronted this issue in the book of Jonah and chapter 4. Let's read that whole stuff there. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. Many of us understand Jonah. Jonah, you know, was the one who was sent to minister and uh, he decided not to go. And you know why he decided not to go? Because the message that God sent to him was a message that he would destroy that Assyrian nation. Uh, but he kind of knew that God always changes his mind because he's merciful and kind, so he didn't want to really go. And so when he now decided to go, he, he didn't decide to go, he went to somewhere else, passes. And then the Bible says then um, there was a calamity against the boat. They found out that it was because of Jonah. And then Jonah was uh, swallowed, thrown overboard. And, and I, 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 I just experienced being on the sea for a while. And I just cannot really want to be thrown overboard when there is a storm. It's not really good. Uh, but you see, when God wants to do something, he does it use the well to uh, become a place of refuge for him, but inside the belly of a whale is not the best thing to be inside anyway. Um, and then the whale vomited him out, and then he went to fulfill God's word. Now, and then we pick it up in chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, this change of plan greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Now, what was the change of plan? God now said he's not going to destroy Assyria. He's going to, not going to destroy the, the, the land of Nineveh anymore because they repented. Um, and, and, and so when God said he's going to do that, he upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away from Tarsus. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger, to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. You see someone throwing a tantrum. This is so pity. Kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted would not happen. 
because he had predicted something. God has changed his mind, but God didn't tell the whole nation that he changed his mind, so he would look to the whole nation that Jonah was a fake. So he says, you know what, God, okay, before you sent me, we have spoken about this, you still allow them to throw me overboard. I still fulfilled your will. Now, it's going to look like I'm a liar. So kill me. Just kill me. Uh, and the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. As he waited to see what would happen to the city, he still wants something bad to happen to them. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. God had a great sense of humor. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, saving him from the sun. So at this point in time, Jonah is like, yeah, God, you're on my side. This is his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful to the plant. <laughs> but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. Can you see this dialogue he's having with God? And then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Uh... Also, I want you to go with me to uh, the book of, um, hold on, and my iPad has just gone off. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, the Message Bible. It says, a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leaves you bone tired. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leaves you bone tired. Now, one of the major supplements, or I would say a feeder school to doubt, is self-pity. And I want to expose it this evening. Self-pity is defined as an inability to accept a situation or a circumstance in your life. Self-pity. This is, this is Jonah's issue. It is the feeling that you are a victim of something or someone. It's like a persecution complex. It, it's an exaggerated sense of pity over one's own life, one's position, or one's circumstance. It, it, it is the unexpressed thirst for sympathy and affection from others. <laughs> I, I, I hope we'll, many of us will identify ourselves. And I know you're all looking right at us, but I'm coming. 
I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Like, mm, that's why I'm alright. Self-pity is a subtle thing. We often don't recognize it right away because it wears the disguise of righteous indignation. And you can, you can align that with Jonah. You understand? We still justify to indulge it after the injustice we suffered, even if all that happens was that we didn't get our way. Mm-hmm. But self-pity, the reason why I'm dealing with it, is it is dangerous, it's deceitful, it is hardening sin. It is a, what I call a spiritual deadener and a choker of faith. It drains hope, it kills joy, it smothers love, it fuels anger, and it robs any desire in you to serve others. That's the danger. It's a feeder thing. It, it, it encourages us to comfort our poor self with, with all manners of simple indulgence sometimes. Many of us are getting to self-pity and then we indulge ourselves in gothic. Indulge ourselves in slander. Sometimes we go into gluttony. We eat. We call it comfort eat. What happened to you? Uh, I'm just not feeling right. I'm just comforting. Remember, some of you now go into what I call retail therapy. Mm -hmm. You're going to more debt. Uh, Some people go into pornography. Some people go into uh, what I call a binge entertainment, just to name a few. So, self-pity poisons our relationship and is often an underlying cause of burnout. When self-pity is made a habit of, it not only impedes the progress that we make in life, but it creates a self-destructive cycle of self-sabotage. And I'm talking to you from someone who has been there before. Where you just indulge and say, no, no, nobody likes me, no, nobody likes me, everyone's against me. Mm-hmm. So Helen Keller said, because she was blind, so she said this, she said, self-pity is our worst enemy if we yield to it. We can never do anything wise in this world. So, so let me quickly be, it's getting hot, isn't it? Uh, uh, regulate it to come to like 19 or 20 or something like that. Uh, so, because all of you are sitting down very righteous, no one is responding. Let me expose, let me ask you, you can now start picking if this is you or not. So let me give you some tell tell signs of self-pity. So you will know if it applies to you. And if it doesn't apply to you, God bless you. Number one, this is how you will know you're in that position. If you find it hard to laugh at life and yourself, you are in the place of self-pity. Many people just take themselves too seriously. And they find it difficult to even laugh at your predicament. Have you ever fallen down and just got up and you just start laughing? <laughs> Have they ever happened to you? 
However, we were in Dubai one time ago, my wife fainted because of the heat, and we got into, they took her into the uh, recovery room and all that. And when she woke up, she, she, did, she, she woke up almost immediately. We got in there, and we just all busted out laughing. I mean, my son laughed instead of like, you understand? Because we could have taken that as a predicament. But sometimes you just, the, the beauty of life is when you just laugh at yourself. Like, you know, sometimes, how silly could I have been? I mean, you, 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 you fell down and immediately you're looking around, did anyone see me? They saw you. <laughs> it just happened. Do you understand? At home, you're married and there's no laughter in your home. You, you're in a relationship with someone, there's no laughter. You, you, you rarely laugh. You are just the only one that always takes life serious. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Don't kill yourself. Life is about ups and downs. You will never escape from it. Number two, when you tend to crave for drama. Mm-hmm. In truth, so many people are like a drama queen and tend to have melodramatic streets most of the time. You, they, your mom's called you a drama queen, your sister's called you a drama queen. At work, they haven't said it directly in your face, but you have had wet whispers and you still think not pity. Do you know how you find if you, uh, if you have self-pity and you're a drama queen? It's when you always see black and white. You, there's no in-between. You are, you are either with me or you're not with me. You, 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 you kill, you, you, you throw tantrums all over the place. Uh, you have a strong fighting instinct. Usually, this, 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 this tends from extreme types of thinking. And, and so, whenever they want to engage in a discussion with you, they have to think, Ten times because they know you can blow out or blow up any minute. And drama queens, I don't like the way they call it drama queens because many dramas actually come to men. We should say drama kings. And you know why they make you, when they call it queen, is because you are on the top of the scale. Where you just so turn to And many times, this actually comes from when we were young, when we kick it off. And then our parents give us every single thing we want. And then, uh, or sometimes something happens, and then you start rolling on the floor. And then your mom says, stop it now, stop it now, stop it now. And then they give you a sweet. Kind of not like my uh, Caribbean uh, 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 woman who has said this before, who I saw in Tesco's one day when the sun uh, suddenly was rolling on the floor and was rolling on the floor and everybody else was looking, both white, both black, both Caucasian, both everyone was just looking at what was going to happen. And the mom said, get up, get up, let's just assume the son's name was John, get up, John. Get up from the floor now. I said, I'm not going to buy it for you. Get up from the floor now. Don't let mommy repeat itself. And I was just, I was shopping. But you know, sometimes you, you like to be nosy, isn't it? <laughs> so I was going to say, okay, if I'm in this situation, I always like to learn. What, what am I going to do? The, the, the boy was throwing his hands from. Drama king. And I'm just thinking, what is this woman going to do? Because I know if she beats the, the, the boy, they're going to report. What is she going to do? 
are telling them, like, she, she went into a backwa. Uh, pick the guy up and down. Beat you. I don't know how she said it, but. I have to take the living life of it. Get up now! I'll take you and then I'll go to the police station. Everybody else disappears. Like, <laughs> so why else do you want to do? Like, put your hands on your mouth. I know she gave him a smile, but nobody else saw it. You, you, you know there's a way you can hold the child. If you were like my mom, you can hold the child and give the child a picture. Don't! If you talk... If, I followed her until she got onto the tail. Because I wanted to make the child would try to... He was quiet. I'm like, yeah! I think there's another method to work this out. But then people grow up, many of us grow up without no caution, no thing, and then we get married and we still throw the same tantrums. Being quiet, silent treatment. Uh, ignoring the person. We're drama kings, queens, and kings. That is really a sign if you go deeper of self-pity. Because all Jonah was doing was throwing a tantrum. God, kill me now. Ah, kill me now. I mean, not now. I want you to kill me. I mean, he's talking to God to kill him. You don't need to talk to God. If God wants to kill you, you don't need to ask for his permission. He will kill you. Number four, when you tend to be an individualist, self-pity is one of the most effective ways of keeping yourself separate and private and independent from friends, family, and people around you. When you go into self-pity, or you have the telltale signs of self-pity, that's when you shut down your phone. You go up Instagram. I mean, sometimes you need to detox, but not that way. Where you just, so what's wrong with you? People will call you, people will uh, WhatsApp you, you just shut down. I want to be alone. It's self-pity. You need help. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Where no one can reach you. I've seen that so many times in short. And then, when no one reaches you, you now say, the people don't love me. Well, when they try to reach you, you shut down. They will come to your house, knock on the door, and you will not open. Self-pity. You're going out with someone, and then suddenly you have an argument. And the next thing you do is you erase them off your phone, and off your Instagram, and self-pity, self-pity, self-pity. You're in trouble. When you get married, who are you going to erase? These are things God wants to deal with us. It's that. It's, it's, it's one of those things that ruin us. And we have this, we pray the same thing with God. We shut God out. We don't stop. We stop praying. That's what we do. We stop praying because God didn't give us what we want at the time we want. When we want, then we just shut God out. How do we shut God out? We don't come to church. How do we shut God out? We don't pray anymore. How do we shut God out? We don't fast. We don't sing. We don't do anything. It's the same thing. You are an individualist. No one can reach you. Number five, let me quickly give this to you. I want to get you out of here as soon as possible. You tend to be a past-oriented person. Some people live in the present, others in the future, and still others in the past. Self-pity is inextricably linked to the past. 
focus mindset to dwell on past events. I hope this will help someone tonight. They, they dwell on the past and it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. You just can't get past the fact that that person offended you. They offended you. It happens. Move on. Because now you follow, oh, how I love Jesus. I, I, I like to be like Jesus. Then you have less to defy you and still say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You want to have the mindset of Christ. The mindset of Christ says you need to forgive and move past it because of the glory that was set before him. He endured the cross. Paul said, leaving those things that are behind and what? Focusing, trusting towards the things that are in the future. You will never move into your future if you hold on to your past. And there are many people that just live on the past. They can't get through the past. Once someone offends them, that's it. And they're confident enough. If I, can I stand up over? They will tell you that and that's who I am. When someone offends me, I find it difficult to just get over it. Stupid. How stupid are you as a Christian to just be opening your mouth and saying that kind of statement as if it is a badge of honor that you wear. It's like Nike or Hugo Boss or something like you, when you offend, look, I love you, I will do anything for you. In fact, I will even die for you. But if you offend me, like, I think they're God. And so they've already tied you into a conditional relationship. And you are foolish to be friends with the first person. Make all you need to say to them is, mm, sorry, I don't need people like you. Because I offend people. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what relationships are about. And you're looking at the person as if they are, they came from a different planet. Pure and holy. They never offend anyone. Jesus that we look unto, who is the author and finisher of our faith, still when she resurrected, who was the first people he was asking for? Peter, who denied him. The disciples who left him. Even Paul was speaking to Philemon and says, forgive that servant in your house. You can't get through the past. Yes, they told you not to do this. Yes, they offended you in another matter. But believe me, you will never become a Joseph on the throne unless you learn how to move away from your past. Number six, if you have low self-esteem. People with low self-esteem tend to crave their their acceptance and the affections of other people as a way of feeling better about themselves. Those who are in the public arena have a problem with that. That's the reason why those who are popular and popularly known have the greatest battle of self-esteem. If you finish singing and you come down and nobody taps your back like you did well, you're like, hmm, it wasn't really good. If I'm waiting for anybody to tap my back, I will be depressed every Sunday. <laughs> Honestly, I have to get through that in the early stages of my, of my ministry. Especially when someone walked up to me and told me that, Pastor, you know, we need to speak, preach about the supernatural. 
because she went somewhere and they said they had an experience and they saw gold dust. Allow not to gold dust and angelic manifestations. And, and, and because I want acceptance and pray for acceptance, the following week I preached on the supernatural manifestation of God. It was so dry, so silly, so stupid, so out of context. And, and I was saying things that was a complete lie. See, I got back home, I went on my knees and said, Father, I am absolutely useless because if I followed that trend, I would not meet you. God hasn't called me to do that kind of stuff. There are people who have that calling. When we need them, we'll call them in. As for now, God says, shape life, fulfill dreams, guarantee success. That's all he told me to do. So if you're coming here to look for one move of the soup, that's not who God called me. That's not my purpose. Are you following what I'm saying? I, I believe in the healing power of God. But sometimes there are people who are specialized in that. Uh, I, some people who have walked in and said, uh, Pastor, you need to talk about finances so many times. Uh, some people are specialized in that. God only called me to shape life. Period. Q-E-D. Quite easily done. So I don't struggle with it. Uh, looking for acceptance will produce low self-esteem. And that's why I keep talking about you, about your, your, your social media. Social media is a great tool. I have no doubt about that. But when it becomes something that dictates how, how, how your life is shaped, then it becomes a bad tool. And the devil can use everything. Deep down, when people have low self-esteem, they're craving for people's accolades. And it comes from self-pity. And it's a cycle of self-destructive behavior. That's it. Can you find yourself in any of them? No? Okay, let me give you another one. Maybe you find yourself there. You subconsciously feel guilty. Oftentimes, self-pity is an unconscious way of avoiding taking responsibility for person, personal actions or decisions you have made in the past. So, when we find it difficult to accept the wrongs that we have committed, sometimes we try to hide from it by making ourselves the victim. Listen to me. Rather than other people. And in this case, self-pity is a perfect, cowardly, self defensive mechanism. You know you did what was wrong and then you flip it over into being the person who is the victim. Oh, you see, you don't understand. It's in your relationship. Kind of, you knew you did wrong. You say, yeah, yeah, you made that, you made me do that because remember last week you refused to pick me up at home. So I'm still hurt. Even in things, even around. The, the boy cheated. And, and now, so the tantrum, as if he's the victim. I cheated because you didn't show me much love. Eh? <laughs> I, 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 I reacted in anger. I, 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 I slapped you because you made me so angry. This is not me. And then you start crying. Now, now this is not what you should do, but let me just went out for a second. Uh, okay, let's reverse the road. Before we can now come on an even play field, let me slap you back and then we can now start to talk. Because, and that's what Israel does. 
Before we come to the negotiating table, if you kill one of us, we'll bombard the whole of you and then we'll now come and talk. Unlike before when they will first talk. And then, no, these days, they'll try, come near our borders and then you will see what will happen. And many of us, we're playing the victim role instead of making decisions. You made a bad financial decision. Don't become a victim. Don't go underneath. Don't keep digging the ground. Get up and say to yourself, I made this mistake. You were in a relationship, you treated the boy or the girl badly. They, you broke up and now you're crying and you're weeping. No, 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 no. Find out where you have gone wrong and build yourself up again. Stop bombarding the person. They've moved on. Oh, I've changed. Oh, this is God has really changed me. Just change. If the person says no more, don't become a stalker. What's the matter with you? As if your whole entire life is surrounded. And many of people do that. And they're following a trend of self-pity and because they're subconsciously feeling guilty but don't want to confront it. And therefore, Christ has no room in our lives. So how do we now deal with self-pity? Let me quickly give you. Because everybody has an opportunity to become discouraged. But not everybody seizes the opportunity to stay discouraged or in the form of self-pity. Number one, what should you do? I'll give you three hours or four hours. One, redirect your focus. Psalm 69 verse 20, the ESV says, Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I look for pity. Can you see that? But there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Let me, let me explain, keep down for a while, let me explain what the psalmist was saying there. The psalmist was saying that even she was looking for self-pity. So the first thing we need to realize is that every one of us can fall into that realm of self-pity. Everything when things come to us, like issues come here, issues come there, and you're just wondering, God, why is all this happening to me? And then, when we get to that point, the next thing we probably want to do is we want to pick up the phone, call a friend, or call the pastor, arrange an appointment, and then suddenly the friend is not there, the pastor is not there, Nobody is there, and we now go deep into that pitch of self-pity, like, no one loves me, no one likes me, no one is there for me. We're forgetting that the people you're also calling may be dealing with their own issues. Number two, forgetting that the people you're calling have always been there for you in the past, but they're not there now. And forgetting that God has sent a worm to eat up the plant. Meaning, God purposely made them not available for you because you're looking for comforters and pity and you found none. Are you following what I'm saying? So, 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 so at one point in time, you can, you can take it off. Uh, 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 Sometimes, at one point in time, we kind of look around and the more we look around for self-pity, for comfort, the more we go around. 
And let me say this for the, for the, for the young ones, and I, and I want to deal with this as we go along to September or something, or, uh, about relationships. I want to deal with this because our mindset of going into a relationship is for someone to plug what we don't have. If you're not a joyful person, you are not going to be a joyful person. Trying to get into a relationship because maybe that person will provide the joy, the excitement and the happiness is going to kill that relationship very quick. I remember I was counseling a young lady one time ago and she was telling me that she was going out with this guy but suddenly... Um, but pastor, let's leave that apart. I said, okay, we'll leave that. W- what is going on? And she told me a catalog of issues that were going on at home and all that kind of stuff. And she spent like 35 minutes talking to me about that. And my next question is, how is your relationship with the guy? He says he's non-existent. He seems that he's running away from me. I said, I can understand why he's running away from you. In the fact that your entire relationship is based on what you're going through at home. Nothing is about both of you. So when he sees you, he sees a very depressed, very uh, sorrowful person. And your entire discussion throughout the time that you're there is the issues you're going out in home, what your dad is doing, what your mom is doing, what you're going through. That is not healthy for any relationship. Are you following what I'm saying? And, and, and so when she, her idea of getting into the relationship is she wants a rock. Jesus is the only rock. And when you try to do that and direct your focus on somebody, that somebody may be the worm that God has sent at that particular time to eat up the plant to make you focus back on him. Because when you make God your sure entire focus, and you know that it is only God that can help you, you'll become productive in life and you'll be able to move forward. Because, let me say this clearly, every one of us, if you haven't been through the route of self-pity, will encounter self-pity, and you must learn how to get out of it. Because the Psalms encountered it, Elijah encountered it, Elijah encountered it, Jonah encountered it, so we will get there. But the point is, how do we get out? Even the pastor who is talking to you has been through self-pity and will go through it. You just have to know how to get out. There was a time I wanted to resign from pastor in this church. I, I, I when I say that, people say, you know it's not true. I mean, I really wanted to. I was better. Nothing was going on. This was years ago. Nothing was going on. And I was here crying until God sent a helper and then redirected my focus. Because my focus was I needed accolades from people. I needed, I, I, I was bond house. I was trying to please everyone. I wanted to be there for everyone. I, 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 I felt I wasn't doing enough. And then people were criticizing and things were coming and, and I didn't really enjoy pastoring. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like it. But it was here at the cross, here, right here, this place, this place, on my knees, I was able to redirect my focus onto God. I got up from my knees and I said, that's it. That's the Christian way of saying it. <laughs> if you get that, that's the, that's, the, that's the biblical way of saying enough is enough. 
part in the world, you know what he will say. Ah, and I don't like, I don't care. I really have to, it is God who calls me. It is God who says, set your face like what? Flint. So I got up and I had a new, I had a new thought about myself. Said, if it is God who calls me, let it be God. If it's not God, then that's it. I'll go back to my IT. God, prove yourself. Then I became me. I became me. Preach like me, just the way I wanted to, talk the way I wanted to, and anybody that didn't want to fire them. Yes, it's simple as that. I stopped playing towards you. So I want to pick up the phone and pick up them. That's where I made the announcement. My canceling, my phone calls reduced from probably 50 a day to 5. Like I won't pick up the phone. If I will not pick up the phone. If I don't pick up the phone, it's not because I ignore you. It's just because I am busy doing something else. Because you don't know what someone's going through. Yesterday morning, I asked my wife, a phone call at 7 a.m. took me all the way to solve me. Just in that few minutes. And I was there in the hospital all throughout the entire day. And then you are calling me. And you think he's ignored you. But you really don't understand that your problem, if you weigh it against someone else's problem, you have no idea. And that's the same thing in your life. You're trying to please everyone. You're looking for someone to be your rock. You're looking for someone to be your helper. You're looking for someone to always be there for you. At one point in time, it was good because that was your shade. But at one point in time, God can send a worm to eat up that entire shade so you can redirect your focus onto Him. Don't make them your enemies. All things are working together for your good. Maybe not the way you want it, but the way God wants to develop you. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? Stop looking around. There will always be somebody who is doing better than you. Don't go into self-pity. There will always be someone. Someone is always better than you. Someone can preach better than I can. In fact, I'm developing young ones in church that they will preach me into oblivion. Good. Happy. You think I'll become a soul? No. I'm just getting to the days where I can just be in Spain throughout the entire week and then come back on Sunday and then fly out again. You don't need God has I'm walking myself out of a job. You think I'm going to hold on to this forever? No! It's not happening. We need to develop people who can take this to the next level. You're holding tight onto that job. You're holding, you're at work and you're, you're cautiously looking. When they invite someone in for a meeting in the other room, you're like, what, what, what is happening? Relax! <laughs> Stop looking around. Look up. Oh, they're going to promote them over me. So what? Maybe that will fire you up or fire you out. You sat there too long. You're sitting down under the tree and God says it's enough. You're sitting down beside the book. The book has dried up a long time ago. And God wants to move you, but you didn't move. So he will promote someone above you. And then you will now start to move. God is working things out. But if you focus yourself on people, focus yourself on things that are around you, you will wallow in what I call self-pity. Number two, rely on God's grace. Rely on God's grace. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, God knows what we're made of. He remembers that we are dust. He knows the frailties of your humanity. Listen to me. God doesn't expect us to be perfect 
Somebody says, oh, but the Bible says be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect word there means present continuous. He knows our frailty. He wants us to gradually be transformed into his image. So God knows sometimes I will fail. And if you fail, don't go into self-pity. Are you following what I'm saying? God knows sometimes I will make mistakes. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. And more importantly, he doesn't stop loving you when you fail. Many people will commit the sin and then from there, they'll just start to try to cover it up. And that's where issues occur. No, be honest with God. Lift up your hands and say, God, help me. It doesn't matter what failure you've gone through or the ones which you're going through right now. Big or small, it hasn't changed God's purpose for your life. You just have to allow God to teach you, allow God to motivate you, allow God to see you through the failure. He still has a plan for your life and a place for you in this world. Let me give you an example. David. David failed, but David, when he recognized through Nathan his failure, he allowed God to walk through his life. Just imagine he was still in self-pity. Think about this. Just imagine, he still stays fasting and praying after the child dies. Do you realize there will not be a Solomon today? Does anyone care me what I'm saying? He just got up. And the Psalms were like, what? He says, when the child was alive, I could do something about it. When the child has died, you know, God gives, God takes away, bless me his name, he says, give me food, let me eat. The fourth thing he did was he ate food. Don't starve yourself. You're so much in self-pity that your best food is right in front of you and you can't eat it. There's a problem. The day they put a Chinese food in front of me and I can't eat it, I really need fasting and praying. Something is seriously wrong. Best food, I don't eat it frequently, but really... No, no, don't, don't, don't. He got up, he ate, he went into the house of God and he left, just allowed God to see him through it. He didn't, he wasn't in self-pity so much that guilt became his defense mechanism so much that he looked at Bathsheba and said to Bathsheba, you were the Jezebel that the devil sent to me. Get out of my house. If he had sent Jezebel, mm. if he had sent Bathsheba out of his house, there would be no Solomon. Because we tend to make inappropriate decisions when we are going through self-pity. Is this helping someone today? Number three, I call it regular meditative prayer. Tell me put on Psalms 1, verse 1 to 3. Psalms 1, verse 1 to 3. We're closing very shortly. Psalms 1, and verse 1 to 3. Look at what it says. He says, uh, all the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around the sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it, what? Day and what? Night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Prayer and meditation. Now, I said 
regulate, regular meditative prayer. So it looks like I've juxtaposed or I've put two major things together. Meditation and prayer. Why did I call it regular meditative prayer? It's because most of our prayers is talking. We are talkative. God, you know how I feel. And every single time, I always pray to you. And you know what? I just feel that Sally down the road is making progress. Uh, Christina has got married. Christiana uh, has found a, uh, a boyfriend. And Christine has uh, just got a new job. Why the see? Can't you find someone else? Okay, God. All right. Uh, let me talk to you about Tamikwa. Remember Tamikwa uh, walking to church barely could say any prayer and now she is an usher and she's going fine and things are working out for her life and she just wants a property. God, what is happening to my life? You are talking too much. I call it meditative regular prayer. Most of the time, those five, we pray too long. <laughs> I know I've just broken my sentence, but I just mean, so we pray too long. We pray too long. The, the Bible says it's a constant prayer. That means you cannot be praying throughout the day. Let me teach you how to pray effectively. Take five, five minutes out sometimes. Just sit there and just say, God, I really don't understand what's going on. Speak to me and be quiet. Take five minutes out of every three hours of your day. Just be quiet. Are you following what I'm saying? Because then the scriptures and God will start to leap out on the inside of you. I need to teach you this again, hearing the voice of God. I know I've teached you so many times, but you didn't care. So faith comes right here and I have to teach you again. Hearing God's voice, that inner thought, that word of wisdom on what to do, is the most important thing for your life. We are too busy. And see, what the devil has done with us is that morning prayer is fantastic. But don't make it an imprisonment. Be very careful of being legalistic. Are you following what I'm saying? Because when we miss morning prayer, because we've been taught that if you don't pray early in the morning, God is too busy during the day. That's a lie. The Bible says God is attentive to our prayers. Uh, it is good to wake up in the morning and it's good to speak to God first than to speak to anyone else. And I'm talking to people who are tired about God, who love God. I'm not talking to the lazy ones. I'm not talking to you. you you're lazy. And God needs to deal with you. We need to talk about how you can uh, 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 become very pious. Because when, when, when pastor said that, you will still sleep till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and then you rush. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about the ones that sometimes you're tired, you understand, and you wake up late. Sometimes, not always. I'm talking about sometimes. Let me lay emphasis to that because when it goes up on the internet, they will cut that out. I'm talking about the those who sometimes, sometimes you wake up late and then you now leave home and you think that's it. No. Even while you're on the tube, instead of reading, leave God. You know in the midst of chaos, you can be silent. We sang the song today. I will be still and know you are God. He didn't say you will be still and know you are God when everything is quiet. It's when chaos comes. Do you know that you can hear the, the, the sound of a bird in the midst of many people chattering? It depends on what you're tuned to. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? If I close my eyes and five women mention my name, I will be able to know which one is my wife because of the frequency in which I'm thinking. In fact, the way she will say it will not be the way others will say it. And if you say it in the way others will say it, well, that's yeah. There's just a way she will call me. She will either call me by my pet name or she will call me when she's angry. Which one? I will find the one. It's the same thing with God. You can hear his voice even in the midst of chaos. And I call it regular meditative prayer. I want to teach people how to pray God's way. Even Jesus says, your reputation means nothing. We have to learn how to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 34, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind who stayed on him. Another verse says, You will keep him in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are what? Fixed on you. This is how to get rid of self-pity. Because when you are going through trouble, trials, and you want to feel self-pity, you want to alienate yourself, you want to get into that destructive behavior, you want to throw that tantrum, you want to pick up that phone and get out that person. When you're just quiet for a while, you kind of just care God speak to you. You know sometimes when I get home, some counseling at home, counseling in church, before I walk into my the home. I know my wife would have some things waiting for me. Maybe somebody has called her and there's other issues that are waiting. My son is also waiting for me to do. I sit in the car just for five minutes. Or just a, I just first I dump everything I'm coming home with and then I breathe and just ask God for your wisdom and when I walk through the house I'm not agitated. So I know what to, what to do as I walk through the house. Sometimes it's like, okay, what, what's the problem? And sometimes it's like, I don't want to get food. I say, I need to do the food first. So I can enjoy my food and then I can deal with the problem. Then deal with the problem and not eat my food. Food first. God told me while I was in the car meditating, he said, eat for the journey is long. <laughs> Always start your day with God. Even if you wake up late, five minutes doesn't say you can't start your day with God. Pray for wisdom and help. So you become optimistic, you become positive, you become confident, you have a right attitude for the day. You have to do this regularly because the shafts and the demons you're going to meet outside have been ordained to upset you. Talk to God before you talk to anybody else. Ask for his help. And then the last one is what I call, and every, this is where everybody would not like me. And this is where everybody say, Pastor, is enough preaching. I call it regular exercise. The Bible says bodily exercise profits little. He didn't say it doesn't have any. He said profit. He didn't say it doesn't do anything. At one point in time, Paul 
left one of his servants in Ephesus because he was too sick. You will never last the journey if your body can't take it. Thank you so much. First Timothy 4.8 For bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that is now and that of which to come. So there's something that speaks about the life now and something that speaks about the life to come. But he didn't say bodily exercise does not profit. This is Paul speaking to a pastor. Saying to him, exercise a bit, bro. Because exercise has proven to boost the level of your endorphins in your brain, which are responsible for elevating your mood. I am a living example of that. I'm not exercising to be buff. That's too late. <laughs> it's too late. Now, I'm not those who are, you know, God bless you, know that, you know, start, you know, I mean, like, you can be, I mean, I've seen people who just wear some tiny little t-shirts and, you know, that's why I don't go to the gym anymore. I decided to gym it all in my house. Uh, and then, but recently I went to, you know, you don't intimidate me. You can be as big and as tall as that and still have a brain of a little boy. It doesn't really mean anything. But you are not going to intimidate me out of the gym because I'm, <laughs> I'm going into the gym because I want to feel right. Feel good. Many of you do not exercise. And when I talk about exercise, not because, in fact, when I sit down with people and I'm doing their finances, the first thing I, I get rid of is their gym membership. Because you don't use it. <laughs> it's always there. Everybody. Have you not found it? I'm yet to find anyone I'm sitting down and doing their finances that I don't see gym membership in there. I thought that I look at them and I look at the gym and I look at them and I'm like, I'm not talking about, I'm actually not talking about weight, I'm just talking about them. And I'm like, how long has there been someone who is left at Boston can put gym membership in there? I'm like, you? Do you actually go to gym? Yes, I do. I said, you're about to lie in the presence of God. How many times a week? Eh, maybe one, I mean, you don't even go at all. If that is what? One on an 85-pound gym membership. That's a disaster. So I give them some insanity CDs to go and do at home. Before exercise at home, run at home, walk, regular long walks while you're meditating. The sun is out. What are you doing? Walk through the park. Jog a bit. I'm not telling you to kill yourself. I'm just saying that when you exercise your body and you stay fit, it's a good way to keep fears and anxiety away. Try it. Pastor, you can walk. You can swim. You can do aerobics. You can do, you can get a body massage. You can do, get yourself involved in different kinds of sports. I, I didn't like body massage. <laughs> well, when my physiotherapist said you need to do one thing once, and they started, I found out that it is really good. With my wife present, by the way. Ah, 
Ah, no funny daddy, daddy, daddy stuff. No, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. But exercise. I knew I'm not the one who can go to the gym, so I brought things into the house. And I use them. It is not for show. No matter what you are. Recently, because many people think exercise is for those who need to lose weight. No. It is for those who need to maintain a good lifestyle. You need to understand this because even when you exercise and you lose the weight, don't make it the aim of weight. Make it the aim of a lifestyle. Because those who even have had a heart attack, we've seen someone who was playing football and had a heart attack. So it has nothing to do with weight. Somebody was cycling. It was in the news today. They were cycling and thank God for a defibrillator that was around that brought them back. So I want you, when I speak about exercise, many people just think I'm talking about weight. I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about insanity of mind. Because sometimes when I walk into the gym or I'm on the treadmill, you understand, I, I don't have to run as fast as you. And I'm not walking to the gym to look at you. How many minutes have you been there? I care less. If I, to be honest, I even see some people walking to the gym with their iPads. They're watching a film and they're walking. I need to do something. Eat well. When our bodies are in optimal health, we have more mental resources available to cope with stress, to solve problems, and to control our worries. You will be shocked at what you would find when you get into regular exercise. I'm talking about regular exercise. I'm not talking about exercise where you're taking a selfie. And you're putting it on your Instagram. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not for the people. Why are we so concerned about other people? I don't understand. Don't be concerned about ourselves. Take a walk in the evening. Get down one tube stop from your office and walk. Put trainers on. Your high heels are killing you. Put your trainers on and walk. Oh, it doesn't make you look sexy. Who cares? When you are in the right mood, when you are in the right space of mind, things start to work for you. You will stop getting into something. There are other things I could say, like getting involved in someone else's life, giving a helping hand to someone else, and all those kinds of stuff. But these are the things I just want to share with you tonight, because if we don't get rid of self-pity, we would never get to the place of where God wants us to be. The Bible, God said to us this year, rise and shine. He says, rise from the state of depression. We need to rise and we need to be able to move forward. Did you get anything from it tonight? You've been listening to Ty Adeshugba, pastor of Worship Tabernacle Church. We hope you enjoyed this message. For further inquiries, visit us at www.worshiptabernacle.org.uk Alternatively, call us on 020-7435-3939. You can find us at the Citadel, Worship Tabernacle, 131 St. John's Way, N19 3RQ, Archway, London. Thank you for listening.